The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Hi, Dr. Ray. I love your show. Let me show you what it looks like to be a holy person, and maybe you'll want to be holy like me. You just patted yourself on the back. You seem like an honest guy. But you're a psychologist. Do you have some advice? I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. You're my second favorite Italian person. I think you have a way of making people feel relaxed. She needs to feel the consequences of being a jerk. You know, I was looking for a deeper answer. Obviously, I'm a failure. Obviously, I'm inept. You are awesome. Keep up the good fight, my friend. Now, from the studios of Living Bread Radio Network in Canton, Ohio, the hometown of Mother Angelica, here's Dr. Ray. Real nice to have you with me. Probably even nicer for me to be here because that means I'm alive. It means I get to do something like this, which is an incredible privilege. And I get paid for sitting here and talking which my Italian grandfather could never understand. What am I doing with my hands? No, Papo, I'm, uh, I'm using my mouth. What? Are you, uh, you got to chew things? No, no, I get, uh, I get paid for words. You get paid for words? Yeah. See, Papo never lost his Italian accent because he came here at age 17 and, you know, there's something about going through puberty that kind of wires in, even though you can learn a second language, you still have an accent unless you really work hard on getting rid of the accent. My grandmother had no accent because she came here as uh, an eight-year-old, so she hadn't hit puberty yet. So when my grandmother spoke, she she was perfectly, perfectly American English, not my grandfather. Raymond, you get to the telephone. He knew how to speak English, but he just had the Italian accent. But I get to be with you. Second generation, third generation from the uh, from the old country. And good Lord permitting here in a very short period of time, I'm going to get a chance to go back to the old country. Going over to Italy for 12 days. Everybody describes Italy as some beautiful place. Although I'll tell you... From what I'm seeing, demographically, uh, Italy has one of the lowest birth rates in Europe. I think it's 1.2. you got to have 2.1 to replace yourself. The U.S. is 1.64, so we're not replacing ourselves either. China is 1.09. There comes a point, and this goes to show you how hard it is to predict. There comes a point when you, when you can't recover. You simply do not have enough people of childbearing age, and you have reached the point of no return. Anyway, that's off the subject. This is E-Person Monday, where I've got a stack growing in front of me, and I'm starting to get way back, and I don't want to go too far back, because I usually will say to someone on their email, uh, can you call the show? I can ask some questions, or I'll try, I'll try to address this on an upcoming E-Person Monday. But if that's two, three months back, and then I send them, I always send a little note, said I addressed your question on E-Person Monday, I kept it anonymous, and they'll say, who are you? <laughs> so I don't want to go too far back. All right. There are things that you learn from doing a lot of therapy that you just didn't get in grad school. Grad school is much more academically oriented 
and certain types of insights and phenomenon you don't get unless you have a very, very experienced therapist coming in and just informally instructing you. And that's what your supervisor is supposed to do in, in supervision. There's a phenomenon that I started to notice a while back. I call it the dust kicker upper. What is the dust kicker upper? I don't think I could have written a paper on that in grad school. Not academically sounding enough. Parent will come into the office. Typically, more often than not, because of one kid. More often it is one child who is giving them the most disciplined struggles. Sometimes you get parents who come in and say, we've got three kids and all three of them are driving us crazy because our discipline just needs a lot of work. But typically, it's the dust kicker upper. This is the kid who is far more defiant than the other kids, far more impulsive maybe, argumentative, maybe sneakier. He's the one that is soaking up about 80% of their discipline effort. We will talk about this child, and we will come to ways to better deal with this child. Now, if the parents do this, and we follow up, and I keep asking questions, and we try to continuously tweak it and make it work better, they will say, yeah, he's, he's noticeably better. He, he's noticeably more cooperative, more pleasant, more affectionate. He's just overall nicer to be around. And then they'll say this. But we've noticed our daughter is, well, we thought she was kind of the the easy-to-raise child, the one that didn't require much discipline. But we've noticed that's not necessarily the case. Now, one might say, well, the daughter's reacting because, in fact, this older brother or older sister who is more of the troublesome one in the family is getting more attention is starting to be a little smoother to live with, so they're reacting. Most of the time, that's not the way it is. Most of the time, and the parents will acknowledge this, the less difficult child, discipline-wise, was hiding in the dust. The dust kicker-upper was the bigger behavior problem, and that's what's taking all the parents' attention. But the other one, by comparison, seemed pretty easy, pretty good. Until they started toning down the more difficult one, and then as the dust started to settle, they noticed, yeah, you know, she's got a bit of a disrespectful mouth. You know, I've noticed she she kind of sneakily provokes her brother. Didn't notice that before. It was always him reacting that we had to deal with. 
I've seen that happen. It's one of those things you learn over the years to ask about. Because typically, we parents compare. She's not really a problem compared to him. But then when he starts to settle down, she becomes a little more noticeable. It's not that she got any worse. She was always that way. But it was hidden. It was hidden underneath all the dust that he was kicking up in the family. So, that's what I'm saying to you. If you got one child that takes a lot of your discipline attention, because this is the way this kid is, and you're thinking to yourself, the other two don't do that. The other four don't do that. They don't do anything like that. Pay a little more attention. It may be that you're overlooking things you shouldn't overlook because they're not as bad as the troublesome kid. But there's still something you should deal with. But relatively speaking, that other child or those other children are nowhere near as disciplined, challenging as the difficult one is. But if you get the difficult one under more control, it'll become clearer what those kids might be doing too. Not as bad, maybe, but stuff you've overlooked because the tougher kid got all your effort. All righty, when we come back, I got the E-Person stacking up here on this E-Person Monday. I'm Dr. Ray. The wisdom of Mother Angelica. And we need to pray for all our world leaders and all those who are in such danger. See, in a day and age where people are getting further away from God, you get further away from goodness. Only God is good. You remember what our Lord said one day? Why do you call me good? He said, only God is good. Only God. EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Brought to you by the nonprofit Seton Home Study. Hi, everybody. Dr. Ray Garendi here. You thinking about homeschooling? Seton Homeschooling. 40 years of experience, 17,000 current students, pre-K through high school. They provide the books, the lesson plan, the counselors, the grading services, the tests. That's right, pretty much everything. My wife and I use Seton, some of our children. I'll tell you this, two of them got perfect ACT scores in verbal. And overall, the Seton students scored more than 100 points above average on the SAT. Over 30% higher on English and reading on the ACT. It's a rigorous program. You want to give the very best to your kids? Trust me on this one. Go with Seton. It is a beautifully rigorous academic program. Go to setonhome.org. That is setonhome.org. Underwritten in part by the following nonprofit. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? even things you don't believe in, there are options. You can join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based health sharing community. Plus, Solidarity HealthShare can save you money with prices starting as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-398-9399. 
That's 844-398-9399. Little boogie woogie. You ever have kids who little kids pick their noses? I mean, they just do this all the time, right? I used to be very supportive as a father. I'd say, uh, pick me out a ball glove while you're up there. And the girls would go, Dan. The boys would go, okay. This is Dr. Ray on E-Person Monday. Jumping right to it. My daughter is engaged. She and her fiancé live in Arizona. They are both from Illinois. The future-to-be mother-in-law wants the wedding in Illinois. Now, already I'm getting nervous because this is a decision of the bride and groom. It's not a decision of the mother-in-law, but she wants the wedding in Illinois. My daughter, the bride-to-be, does not. She wants to get married in Arizona. How should my daughter and me handle her? Well, Mom, uh, I'm going to take away the me in that question because... I would really strongly advise you to stay out of it. Now, from the perspective of your daughter, a couple of things. No mention of the groom here. What does he want? If he's saying, if my wife-to-be wants to get married in Arizona, we will get married in Arizona. Will he stand up to his mother? Or will he try to say, well, let's appease her? And if he says in some way, let's appease her, what does that mean about her ability to influence their marriage? Just saying, don't know, just asking questions. The mother-in-law is pressing her son and sending him venues in Illinois. Well, what's he doing about that? I would suggest that you talk to your daughter-in-law, I'm sorry, your daughter, and ask her, has she talked to her fiancé? Are they unified? If they are unified, then they are facing telling the future mother-in-law this is what we're going to do we think this is best for us at which point you're going to find out how upset she gets and i think there's a direct relationship in how upset she gets to how intrusive she might be in their marriage maybe not maybe this is just a one-off issue and she just says all of our family all of our friends are illinois and they can't make it out there okay then she can make her case, which maybe she already has, and your daughter doesn't agree, but she can make her case to your daughter and her son and say, this is, this is why I'm thinking this. What do you guys think? Or maybe she could be open to a compromise. We're going to get married in Arizona, but I'll tell you what, 
we will set up a reception for the people in Illinois who would want to come and who don't want to fly out to Arizona. That's a way to handle that. If she's inveterate about this, stubborn, and digs her heels in, then I guess my question is, whose wedding is this? If you say, how should we handle her? I'm going to go back. I'm going to get rid of that plural pronoun there, Mom, because this is really your daughter and future son-in-law having to handle her, not you. You stay out of it. Because otherwise, then this just becomes a battle of the mothers. So, there really isn't a way to handle her. There's a way to more or less tell her what they've decided. And, and they can do that. And hopefully, the future son-in-law is confident enough to do that, to tell his mother, this is what we've decided. So, I think that's where you're at with that. Okay, let's go on here and see what else we got. Uh, that's a 24. Go with that. She's there. Scrolling upwards. It used to be a lot easier when I'd print them out and I'd stack them up. Dr. Ray, we have five children. 10, 8, 6, 4, 2. Really nice. But then, you know, when you have somebody have a birthday, it gets all cattywampus up. But that's really nice right now. My question. Are allowances good? How would we go about adding a money system for the kids? The reason I ask is around birthdays, Christmas, Valentine's Day, etc. The children want to pick out gifts for each other. Well, that's kind of cool, isn't it? It's really nice. I don't know how much the two-year-old wants to get involved with this. Or they would like to save up to buy something they really want. Up to this point, we haven't done anything like that yet. Your insights, please. There's two camps two general camps with allowances. One, kids live here. They're expected to do chores here. And we will meet whatever financial needs we think are appropriate to meet. The other one is, well, they need to learn how to manage money. They need to learn how to save. They need to learn how to buy gifts for whom. There are certain things we're not going to buy for them, but if they're morally appropriate, they can buy for themselves. I lean a little bit that way. However, with, with this condition, there are family chores you have to do. Non-negotiable family chores. To earn an allowance, and the parents decide what's a good allowance amount. I mean, some kids get allowances that translate into 40 bucks an hour for what they do for them, plus benefits. On the other hand, if you give them 25 cents for remodeling the family room, you might want to think about that. There are allowance chores. These are things you do to earn your allowance. And if you don't do them, then the first thing that goes is a percentage of your allowance. So I do like that. Um, little four or five-year-old maybe can earn a quarter a week or 50 cents a week. You know, the 10-year-old, two, three, four bucks, whatever you decide depending upon. You know, if they have to tra change the transmission fluid, okay, I'll give you a tip for that. I'll give you two bucks tip for changing the transmission fluid. 
assuming the tranny doesn't need any actual repair because then I'll give you like eight bucks for repair of the transmission. I think that's a, a good way to do it. I think it, it it bespeaks money management. What are you going to save? You're going to save half of it? We're going to put half of it in the bank for you. Some parents will say, I'm going to give a bigger allowance because I want them to, to save more money. Okay, that's cool. Do you know what my allowance was? Nah, boy, oh boy, oh boy. This, this is going to show my age. My first allowance was 25 cents. I think I was seven or eight. Now, back then, for 25 cents, you could buy a truck. You could pretty much go to season tickets for your favorite ball team. And uh, it was enough to re-roof the house. 25 cents back then. <clears throat> Actually, gas was 19.9. I remember that. 19 cents a gallon for gas. It wasn't unusual for go up, go up to a gas station and say, here, give me a buck's worth of gas because you got five gallons. Now, of course, with the 426s that you had in your engine, you got seven gallons to the mile. So that's what I like about allowances, Mom. Uh, I think it's a, a great time to start. Uh, you can prorate it depending upon the age of the kids. You are the one who determines. It's your house. It's your values. It's your decision. You're the one to determine how much, for what, what the allowance can and can't be used for. I mean, if it's an incredibly foolish purchase, some people say, well, let them buy it and find out how foolish it is, I suppose. But you do protect your child from making really dumb decisions and everything else, don't you? So you might say, nah, that one's off limits. Now, if it's a borderline dumb decision and they're wasting $2 of their allowance money to buy something that's useless, well, they're going to, they're going to learn. On the other hand, if they use their allowance money to buy nothing but candy, which is what I did, that's why I loved Halloween. That Halloween candy lasted till November 4th. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my mother didn't let me have all that. I just snucked it. But, uh, well, in those days, man, uh, Hershey's candy bar was a nickel. So everybody gave out Hershey's candy bars. Big ones. Reese's peanut butter cups. Big ones. Not these chintzy little ones. So, in fact, you decide the purchase power of the allowance. The payoff day. Every two weeks. Every one week. Once a month. This is all stuff within your bailiwick as a parent. You make the call. I was listening to your program. My daughter, while studying to be a clinical dietitian, worked part-time in the NICU, neonatal intensive care unit, of a children's hospital. Her job was to make feeding tubes out of breast milk. She shared with me that parents who give birth to babies who have medical problems abandon their babies in the NICU. Now, my guess would be that's a minority of parents. Uh, it's certainly not the general rule. She said that they sign their rights away as parents and they walk away. The babies with the serious problems quite often will be fostered by the nurses and the doctors in the hospital due to their special needs. 
she closes with, thank you, Lord, these babies were not aborted. Thank you, Lord, someone wants to care for them. I don't doubt at all that there would be many, many adoptive parents willing to take those babies. Remember one time on this program, there was a baby that was born with Down syndrome. And uh, I forget how it came about. Somebody called and uh, made the offer that if you wish to adopt this baby with Down syndrome, they were overwhelmed with people who were willing. Precious children. Dr. Ray. What does the Catholic Catechism teach concerning the natural human curiosity and desire to know the future? Paragraph 2115 counsels us that a sound Christian attitude consists in putting oneself confidently in the hands of providence for whatever concerns the future and giving up all unhealthy curiosity about it. What does the Catechism condemn as unhealthy curiosity? All forms of divination, deifying objects as persons, are to be rejected, as are consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm readings, interpretations of omens and lots, clairvoyance and mediums. All these venues conceal a desire for power over time, history, and other human beings, powers that belong to God alone. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism. The following is a medical moment. Hi, I'm Bobby Schindler, brother of Terry Schiavo. In 2005, my sister experienced a brain injury, leaving her unable to speak for herself and make her own decisions regarding medical care. Since she had not established a health care agent by creating a health care durable power of attorney, the courts decided to leave the medical decisions to Michael, Terry's husband. Because of this, Michael was able to remove Terry's food and water, dehydrating and starving her to death by court order. There are many reasons why someone may need a feeding tube, such as an illness or injury, that leaves a patient with difficulty swallowing. Usually, feeding tubes are short-term solutions until the patient can swallow on their own. St. Pope John Paul II clarified that food and water by tube is basic care owed to patients and not a medical act. We never know when you or a loved one may be faced with an injury. I urge you to have a conversation with your family and to identify a healthcare agent to make sure your life wishes are known and to take the step of finalizing a healthcare power of attorney. It could very well save your lives. This Medical Moment, brought to you by MyLifeAngels.com. Thanks for joining me, Dr. Ray Grandy here. Program Doctor is in Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time, co-production of the EWTO Global Catholic Radio Network, as well as Ave Maria Radio Communications. My producer man, Andrew Krucek, is here with me. All righty. This uh, is E-Person Monday. This came from Matt. I hear that threatening divorce 
does not typically help change one's spouse as they would like. Why is this so? I understand that people are not going to change on your terms. They change on their own terms. Well, I think part of the explanation is that when someone does threaten divorce, this this marriage is rocky, and it's been rocky for some time. So, unfortunately, threatening divorce is not a threat. It may be looked at as good. Wondering when you're going to think that. Now, I don't think that's the case all the time. I don't even know what percentage of the time that is the case. I think another reason is that in, in my most recent book, Simple Steps, Simple Steps, not simple straps, that would be a bacteria. Simple steps to a stronger marriage. One of the chapters is called Dump the D Word. And I, I make the point that if you mention or bring up or threaten with, well, you know, maybe we just weren't meant to be together. If this keeps up, I'm going to have to think about my options. Now, that's not saying divorce directly, but the implication is pretty strong. It's the big club. You don't change. I'm thinking of getting out of here. So you better change. And our writer here says, why does that not work? I don't see it completely doesn't work, but it's a dangerous thing to do. Because what you've done is you've cracked the door open. You've essentially said, that's one of my options, you know. So you better change some of the ways you are. Part of the reason that it doesn't work sometimes like people think it would is because the person whom you are threatening it with doesn't necessarily see themselves as the main source of the marital troubles. They see the other person. That's part of the problem in marriage therapy. you got to get people to take a look at themselves a little harder and not so much hard at their spouse. A lot of reasons why it doesn't work. Sometimes it loses its bite if the person threatens it too much, brings it up too much. The other person says, well, you're going to quit talking about it. Just do it. Sick of you bringing that up. Sick of you threatening me with that. That can happen. Happen very easily. The rule is this. If you're committed to that marriage, no matter what, don't don't use the D word or any implication about the D word to threaten your spouse. Because all you'll do, all you'll do, just make it worse. It was late last night, but I did notice that my wife had removed both pictures of my grandsons from my bedroom. I looked all around the room and then through the house. They just were not there. I don't understand why she would do this. But I didn't want to wake her as it was late. Well, this email came in a little while back. 
So I would imagine when I wrote one of my pithy responses, I said, ask her. (laughs) Now, for me, the question becomes, did she remove all the pictures from the grandsons or just from grandpa's room? If she removed them from grandpa's room, my guess would be she's trying to say something. Either you're not paying enough attention to him, in my opinion. Um, you're not the grandpa you should be. Uh, it's, it's some comment upon grandpa's grandpa-ness if all she did was remove those pictures from his room. If she removed them from the whole house, then I think there's something going on either with the grandkids or with the grandkids' parents. So you got to explore it. Hopefully she'll be straight enough to give you an answer, Grandpa, about this. Um, but you can't you can't know at all until you explore. Fifteen years ago, my wife and I adopted four siblings out of the foster care system. Two girls, aged 10 and 4, and two boys, aged 1 and 2. We thought we were pretty experienced parents, having raised four biological children, and all of them went off to college, and they're all married, and they're living successfully. Okay, stop the tape. I see that a lot. I, I address that question in my adoption book, which is... A lot of parents who have raised their kids and done what appears to be a good job as the kids grew up to be relatively stable adults, they said, look, we got more parenting in us. We got a lot of parenting experience. We know what we're doing. Look at our results, right? Hey, check that out. Let's foster. Let's adopt. Now, I didn't. It's been a while since I've read this email, so I I stopped right there and I didn't read any further, but I'm pretty sure what he's going to say. He's basically going to say that the four children we adopted out of the foster care system have been a radically different parenting experience. We thought we were good. We thought we were God's gift to child rearing. And then all the stuff that we did that worked so well with our first four bio kids are not working quite so well with these kids. What's going on? He goes on. Our four adopted children have turned out to be a train wreck. Our two oldest, aged 19 and 25, are living terrible lives, and I fear for their future. Our 17-year-old has just begun down his path of destruction. Here's where it is. I knew they were going to say this. My wife and I thought that we did everything right. These kids were placed in every advantageous situation that we could afford or find, and the results, I'm afraid, for these children and mine and my wife's sanity. Thank you. I'll address this on the other side of the break. I'm Dr. Ray.
Sanctity is not an outgrowth of a person's political opinions. Sainthood is about the demonstration of heroic virtue, and that has virtually nothing to do with a person's politics. Not all political views are equally good, but whatever your political view, you can be a saint. Because being a saint doesn't mean that you have all your intellectual opinions perfectly formed. It means you have been purged of disordered self-love, and you have put on Christ. The late Cardinal George used to say, the church is not conservative or liberal. The church is Catholic. Dorothy Day, was she conservative or liberal? Oscar Romero, conservative or liberal? St. John Paul II, conservative or liberal? We have a different agenda, even when it comes to the social order. But our primary agenda is sainthood. Cresta in the Afternoon, weekdays at 4 Eastern on EWTN Radio. Catholic Connection with Teresa Tomio suffering in the world, personal suffering. One of the biggest things that keeps people from really giving themselves over to the Lord or joining an organized religion. Suffering doesn't seem to make sense. Why do children suffer? Why are there wars? Why is there persecution? Why are some people poor, others rich? Why is there such an imbalance? And on and on and on. A loving God wouldn't do that. Well, God doesn't do that. First of all, we did it to ourselves because in the beginning, right, we chose incorrectly. And then sin came into the world. It was not supposed to be like this, but God gives us free will. He does not want to force himself on us because otherwise we would be puppets. But how many of us can look back and forget what came out of a particular hard time? You don't learn really good, strong lessons when everything is going great. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio. Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. You can't see me right now, but I'm dancing in my chair. And this is reminiscent of something that I used to do when I was in high school, and we had these little boy-girl dances, and I was a senior and uh, too dorky to dance, so I would dance in my chair to try to look cool, which of course had the exact opposite effect. And the only time when I danced that I looked less cool is when... My friends had adult children getting married. I'd go out on the dance floor thinking I'm a pretty cool Scooby-Doo and realize that I was 30 years older than everybody else out there. And that I had become the guy that when I was in my 20s would look out there and say, who's that old guy out there? He's going to hurt himself. He's going to hurt himself. Yep. Yep. So I should have stuck with dancing in a chair at the wedding. The question came in from a dad who had four children biologically, and they all are living relatively stable, successful lives. He and his wife thought, good, got a lot of parenting left in us. We know how to do this, as you can see from our results. And then we're going to adopt children out of the foster care system. Ages 10, ages 4, ages 1, ages 2. All of whom are living very rocky and, so far anyway, self-destructive lives. Key key sentences here. I'll repeat them. My wife and I thought that we did everything right. See, there's a danger there. 
Yes, it is good that your four children went well because they had the benefit of a very healthy womb environment from your wife. They had the benefit of good nutrition. They had the benefit of good prenatal and postnatal care. They had the benefit of a lot of love, a lot of hugs, a lot of kisses, a lot of rocking, a lot of speaking, a lot of intellectual stimulation, a lot of innocence. All of these things entered in to helping you parent. These children were more able to absorb your parenting. You thought, in the words of a movie, worked once, ought to work again. And so you adopted. Beautiful move. Beautiful move. You gave those four kids years of stability. You did. Especially the one on the two-year-old. But Dr. Ray, hold on a second. Now, the ten and the four, I could understand that they'd have a rough life. Because we don't know how ugly their history was before they got to us. What kind of abuse? What kind of neglect? What kind of bouncing around through foster homes? What kind of ugliness just permeated their little lives? Okay, So I can understand that they would be very tough to raise and could probably struggle as adults. But the one and the two-year-old, come on, we got them as little kids. Yes, you did. But even they probably had drug or alcohol womb environments. Or we know they had neglect because they were taken from birth mom. So obviously, there was enough turbulence in their little lives that they had to be removed. So, you were dealing with kids who were going to be tougher, tougher to raise. Now, I'm not saying don't do it. Anybody listening to me, don't don't think to yourself, well, he's telling me not to do it. No, I'm not. I'm telling you, we need you more than ever. But, and here's the big but, you have to be ready that this may not, I say may not, turn out exactly as you would hoped, especially when... You had bio kids, and the bio kids seemed to be faithfully living stable lives. These adopted children of ours were placed in every advantageous situation that we could afford or find, and the results, I'm afraid, for these children and mine and my wife's. No, and the results, I'm afraid, there we go, for, my, for these children and mine and my wife's sanity. You weren't prepared, Dad. You thought this was just kind of a formula. Be good, loving parents, stability, discipline, care, affection, and the children were going to absorb this. Well, the power of nature, the power of early history, the power of drug and alcohol exposure is strong. And as parents, you gave them exactly what you gave your four older bio kids. You did. Perhaps not exactly the same because they were tougher to raise and you know that. And they required more vigilance on your part. They required maybe more discipline. They required more stick-to-itiveness. They required more faking of affection when you felt frustrated. So that was all very different. However, given that, you did this. You gave these children a home. You gave them a moral system. You, okay, let me rephrase that. You showed them 
a moral system. You showed them love. And the little ones, the one and the two-year-old, you gave a lot of years of stability to. So, here's the good news. Not only did you love them for those years, as our Lord asked you to do, whoever welcomes one of these children in my name welcomes me. But they now have an alternative. As they go on in their 20s to mess up their lives, and hopefully they won't do anything totally irreparable, as they see it doesn't work, as they see more dissatisfaction, as they see more struggles, as they see more self-made turbulence, they can look back and say, this is what my parents taught me. This is how my parents raised me, about church, about God. They have an alternative that they were exposed to. Now, right now, they're not choosing to take that alternative. And it isn't just free will, dear people, okay? That's part of it, but part of it is very real, and that's why God sorts all this out, not us, when he says don't judge. These kids did not have the advantages that the four bio kids did. Definitely not the 10 and the 4-year-old. And even though it appeared that the parents did everything the same, these four kids that they adopted from the foster care system had very different beginnings. And I'm not necessarily even talking about all psychologically different beginnings. I'm talking about neurologically different beginnings. I don't doubt that these four children that you adopted from the foster care system didn't have some learning problems, didn't have some early on conscience problems that didn't form. I don't doubt any of that. I don't doubt that they... they presented you with, with quirky kind of behavior on some situations, though it seemed just inexplicable. I was like, where's he coming from with that? I don't doubt that. So, as a consequence, you did your very best as parents. And in, in a way, Dad, you got humbled. You did. You got humbled. Because there was probably, and there was probably some pridefulness in this. Look at the kids we raised. Are we good or what? And then you found out that other factors can enter in, so now you'll be very grateful that those four first children turned out the way they did, and you'll be very humbled that the other four right now are struggling. It's a, a rocking experience, and I hear it very, very often from parents who thought they were great, great parents when they had their biological children who had every advantage in the womb and early life and neurologically, and then they adopted some children who didn't get those advantages and found out they were definitely a different parenting journey. I'm Dr. Ray. This program is brought to you in part by MyLifeAngels.com. MyLifeAngels provides peace of mind by notifying you the moment a loved one enters an emergency room. 
Right on your smartphone, you'll have instant access to everything needed, including all legal documents, to ensure you are empowered to protect their life-affirming wishes. My Life Angels also alerts hospital ER staff with critical medical information and emergency contacts. More information at MyLifeAngels.com. Do you or your spouse snore but won't get help? I'm Chuck Gatica, and this is Journey Strong. Many of us go to bed and can't get a good night's sleep because we have sleep apnea. Then we get excessive daytime sleepiness, fatigue, or concentration issues. Untreated, this can lead to heart failure, hypertension, and even diabetes. The first thing to do is go to a sleep doctor. The ultimate solution may be a CPAP machine. This machine provides positive pressure in our airways and alleviates the obstructive breathing issues associated with apnea. So many of us know this, but we still won't get the help we need. Here's one more reason to get your breathing fixed. A recent study indicates that the effects of sleep apnea may cause us to age the equivalent of 10 more years. Now make that appointment with a sleep doctor. For more, look for our Journey Strong tab at the homepage of AveMariaRadio.net. Would you get on a plane that doesn't have a pilot? Investing in passive index mutual funds may present the same issue. The Ave Maria mutual funds are actively managed by seasoned investment professionals to help you meet your investment goals in a morally responsible way. Ave Maria funds are managed to conform to pro-life and pro-family values. Long-term investors could invest in the no-load Ave Maria mutual fund. You can learn more about the Ave Maria mutual funds at 866-AVE-MARIA or visit AveMariaFunds.com. I better hurry because this is a somewhat, somewhat uh, intricate question. Hello, Dr. Ray. I'm in need of some guidance. And then parentheses, she says, who isn't nowadays? (laughs) Yeah, but not mine. When I die, my house will be left to one of my children by way of a transfer on death deed. Okay. The deed designates that one of the other children as alternate beneficiary in case my first beneficiary passes away. Okay, so she's going to leave her house to one of the kids. Oh boy, I can smell what's coming now. The the alternate, in other words, the second choice, has a serious problem with alcohol. Because of that, I don't trust she will have the mental capability to handle the responsibilities of ownership if her alcoholism remains the same as it is now. Therefore, I'm seriously considering changing my alternative beneficiary to one of my more responsible children. Well, first question is, does she know she's an alternative beneficiary? Because she doesn't know this is not a problem at all. She just doesn't know. All right. Now, she may think she deserves it because she's second oldest. I don't know. But let's see what else. What Here he goes. I realize this would most likely cause a bigger problem between the two current beneficiaries. Okay, apparently they know. All right. Since there are already some serious problems between them. Well, you kind of would expect that. If one has a serious problem with alcoholism, you would expect there would be some social, interpersonal complications too. The way things are right now, I don't see their problem getting any better. No matter what I do, 
I want to do the right thing, and I changing the alternate is the best. I think changing the alternate is the best and most sensible thing to do. Give me your opinion. My opinion doesn't really matter. This this is your rightful, legitimate decision. You can simply say, as I, and you don't have to make this obvious or even say it, but you can think to yourself. I have to make this decision on the basis of who would be the most responsible. It's very clear that my oldest or this person that I designated primary would be the most responsible. The other one I suspect would just simply misuse this leverage, this piece of hereditary house. Now, I think what she's really saying is this is going to create problems among the kids. You're going to get the alternate being really upset at the primary. And then you're going to get the alternate being really upset with the new alternate. True. That is true. But I guess, can you make your decision on that basis? Can you say, well, if I do what is the right thing to do, people are going to be upset. Yeah, yeah. Isn't, isn't that a shocker, huh? But they also don't recognize it's your decision. This is your house. If you, if you want to leave it to the guy at the grocery store, you can do that. Of course, they'll, they'll dispute it in court, but <laughs> you can. It's your decision. You have every right to make that decision, being of sound mind and body, which I'm going to assume you are because I checked your email and it looked like pretty grammatically correct there. I would have, A couple commas were out of place. I, I corrected them and sent it back to you. I didn't use a red pen. Don't worry about it. So given that, my opinion is, one, you have every right to do what you think is best. Two, you can't make the decision on the basis of how people will react to it if you think it's the right decision. People all the time react to right decisions. Our Lord never made a wrong decision and they killed him. Wrong moral decision. Probably when he was four years old, he made mistakes, obviously. It's the old question, did Jesus ever cut a board too short? He probably did. That's not a moral issue. So, given that, you have the right. That's my opinion. By the way, just as an aside, I can't tell you how often I see situations where the parent passes away and the kids just fracture over the will over who got what, over who wanted what, over who thought they deserved what. Sad. Very, very sad. Thanks for joining me on the Seas Person Money. I'm Dr. Ray Garendi. Program doctor is in. Glad that you kept me company. Walk with God. That is your main inheritance. For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.